Hi everyone, welcome once again to Logical Bible Study, the Catholic podcast which is all about doing an exegesis on the gospel texts. So really looking at the text itself, studying scripture um, in quite a rigorous academic way. We're looking today at Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. That's the gospel reading you would hear at Mass today. So here's today's text that we want to look at. Jesus took a walk one Sabbath day through the cornfields. His disciples were hungry and began to pick ears of corn and eat them. The Pharisees noticed it and said to him, Look, your disciples are doing something that is forbidden on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his followers were hungry? How he went into the house of God, and how they ate the loaves of offering, which neither he nor his followers were allowed to eat, but which were for the priests alone? Or again, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath day, the temple priests break the Sabbath without being blamed for it? Now, here I tell you, is something greater than the temple." And if you had understood the meaning of the words, what I want is mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the blameless. For the Son of Man is master of the Sabbath. So, a quite well-known reading, but um, Jesus does a lot of really interesting things here. He makes a lot of interesting movements in his reasoning with the Pharisees. And we really want to dig into it. It's quite a rewarding text to dig into when you really understand the way that he's arguing from scripture here. So we're starting chapter 12 of Matthew and chapter 12 has a big focus on identity. So the identity of Jesus in this chapter, Jesus is revealed to be greater than Jonah and also greater than Solomon. We'll see that later in verse 41 and 42. And in today's passage, Jesus is revealed to be greater even than the temple itself. Also, later in chapter 12, Jesus is going to identify the true identity of his adversaries. So, it's a chapter all about identities. We get to verse 1 today. Now, most translations have here the words, at that time, meaning that what we're about to see here occurred shortly after what previously occurred, which was Jesus condemning the towns of Galilee at the end of chapter 11. But uh, the lectionary has decided not to put that phrase in because it might be a bit confusing if the reader gets up there and starts today's reading with at that time. So, uh, but most translations do have that in there to make it clear that chapter 12 happens shortly after chapter 11. Jesus took a walk one Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day would be Saturday in that culture. And it appears from Mark's version of this account that there's big crowds following him. He's not walking by himself. There's actually huge crowds following them, as they did on most days. And he's walking through the cornfields or grain fields, which makes sense because Galilee is an agricultural area, which does have a lot of grain fields and wide open spaces. Matthew says his disciples were hungry and began to pick ears of corn and eat them. We know from other places in Mark that Jesus and his disciples are so busy during their ministry that they actually don't have time to eat. That was a pretty common problem that they faced. So it makes sense that on this day they have the opportunity to get some grain and so they eat some grain on the go. And what that would have looked like is they probably would have plucked the heads off the grain and then they rub the husks in their hands and that leaves them with ripe raw wheat kernels. And so it's essentially the ancient equivalent of fast food. That's what they're doing. They're eating grain on the go. 
Now, according to Jewish law, there's nothing wrong with doing this in principle. You're allowed to go into a field and pluck the grain in order to feed yourself. There's actually nothing wrong with that, as long as you didn't use a reaping tool. So we see in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 26, it says this, When you go through your neighbor's grain field, you may pluck some of the ears with your hand, but do not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. So there's nothing wrong with that in theory. However, the issue here is that they're doing it on the Sabbath, and that's where the controversy lies. Now, notice here that Jesus himself is not said to be eating corn. The text actually says only his disciples were eating corn, and that's important. Because it probably implies that Jesus did not actually tell them to do this. Verse 2, the Pharisees noticed it. Now, the Pharisees, as you would know, are constantly on the lookout for those who are breaking their interpretation of the law. Now, they had a particular concern for the Sabbath, because in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a really important law. Often, um, Israel is punished in the Old Testament specifically for not keeping the Sabbath. So, the Pharisees, out of concern for the people, want to make sure that people do keep the Sabbath properly. And, of course, they had this really complex system of laws of what was allowed on the Sabbath and what wasn't. Now, they had their eye particularly on Jesus by this point because he's been doing a lot of unconventional things. So here, they notice that Jesus' disciples are breaking their interpretation of the Sabbath law. So they use the opportunity to accuse Jesus. This is what they say to him. Look, your disciples are doing something that is forbidden on the Sabbath. More literally there, it actually says not lawful on the Sabbath. So the Old Testament stipulates that a Jew cannot do work on the Sabbath. So that is in Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. That is clearly uh, part of the law. A, a Jew cannot do work on the Sabbath. The question, of course, though, is what counts as work? The Old Testament is not entirely clear on that. So the Pharisees in Jesus' time had come up with an elaborate system of what counted as work and what didn't. And in their system, based on some Jewish tr- traditions, picking corn was considered to be reaping and therefore work. So you, in the current thinking of the uh, Pharisees at the time, you were not allowed to pick corn on the Sabbath. That counts as work. Now, what's important to know here is that Jesus doesn't confirm or deny their interpretation of what counts as work. He actually doesn't enter into that discussion at all. And this is something that people often miss when they're interpreting this passage. Jesus does not dismiss the Pharisees' interpretation. He doesn't even enter into that debate at all. So it could well be that the Pharisees were right that uh, that does count as work. Or at least I think the best way of looking at this is it appears that the Pharisees at that time did have legitimate teaching authority so that whatever the Pharisees taught was binding on the Jews. Regardless of whether it was ultimately God's will or not, the Pharisees did have teaching authority and for the sake of the people, Um, the people were required to submit to the teaching law of the Pharisees. And in fact, Jesus recognizes that. He actually says later in Matthew, the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So Jesus doesn't dispute their interpretation of the law here. He's not entering into that. What he does is he approaches the matter on a different level. He's going to point them towards some deeper principles that they've forgotten about. Verse 3, have you not read... Now, even that itself would be quite an insult to the Pharisees because, of course, the Pharisees know the Old Testament really well. They would be familiar with the story that he's about to cite to them. And so for Jesus to say to them, have you not read? That's quite an insult, isn't it? 
But another aspect of this is Jesus, when dealing with his opponents, almost always appeals to common ground in the scriptures in order to make his point. So when he's dealing with the Pharisees, he knows that the Pharisees place a high value on the Old Testament. So he argues with them primarily from the Old Testament. Whereas when he's dealing with the Sadducees, they only accept the Torah. So in order for Jesus to make his point, he only quotes from the Torah and not from other places in the Old Testament. And that's an important lesson for us to learn as well. We want to try and argue from common ground where possible. So he says to them, have you not read what David did when he and his followers, or in fact, what it says here more literally is he and those who are with him. So Matthew, and in fact, Jesus, as he's speaking here, seems to be emphasizing this idea that it wasn't just David in the story. It was actually the followers as well. Possibly Jesus here is trying to set up a direct parallel between David and his followers in the story that we'll see and Jesus and his followers. So there there seems to be this emphasis on the followers here. Have you not read what David did when he and his followers were hungry, how he went into the house of God and how they ate the loaves of offering? Now, this is all in 1 Samuel 21. That's the uh, part of the Old Testament where you'll see this story. And it says they ate the loaves of offering. And if you read 1 Samuel 21, that's what they do. So the loaves of offering are the bread of the presence. And basically, that's 12 loaves of bread that are placed on the table in the holy sanctuary on every Sabbath. That's what David's men ate, which they were not supposed to do. And Jesus says that explicitly. He says which neither he nor his followers were allowed to eat, but which were for the priests alone. So he gives a summary of the story to the Pharisees and says, have you not read this story? Now, that's that's all he says about this story, actually. He doesn't bring out the meaning, but I think we can work out why Jesus brings this up. Let's think about it. What point is Jesus trying to make here about the story of David? Well, David is considered to be a holy man, very holy, and venerated by all the Jews, But notice what David does in 1 Samuel 21, and this is what Jesus is trying to draw their attention to. David takes the holy bread that only the priests could eat from the holy tent. Or more specifically, the priest actually gives it to him. David actually ate the bread when he was hungry, which only the priests were supposed to eat. David gave some of the bread to his men who were with him because they were hungry too. And also, this event in 1 Samuel 21 probably occurred on the Sabbath because the holy bread was usually only available on the Sabbath. So that's, there's this parallel that Jesus is trying to set up with David's situation and his own situation in the cornfields. Here's the reasoning that he's, he wants the Pharisees to think about. If David, being the chosen one of God, did all of this and broke all of these laws about eating the holy bread because he and his followers needed food, he's the chosen one of God. Well, then surely it's acceptable for a Jewish teacher, just an ordinary Jewish teacher, to take ordinary food on the Sabbath so that his followers do not go hungry. If it's acceptable for David to eat holy food that he's not supposed to on the Sabbath, then surely it's acceptable for an ordinary Jewish teacher to take ordinary not holy food on the Sabbath so that his followers do not go hungry. That seems to be Jesus' reasoning here. And in fact, that would mean that, and what he's trying to get the Pharisees to recognize, is that if the Pharisees are going to say that Jesus and his disciples are guilty, well, then they're going to have to say that David is guilty too. And obviously, that's not something the Pharisees want to say. 
Now, there's another interpretation here, or maybe another element, which might be sort of lurking in the background here. We know that elsewhere in the Gospels, and particularly in Matthew, Jesus compares himself to David directly. And Jesus actually says things like, behold, one greater than David is here. So Jesus might have this kind of specific Davidic fulfillment in mind here. So Jesus might be thinking something like this. David was allowed to do this, and I'm greater than David, so I can do it too. So there's two interpretations of this, of this really. Um, Jesus is arguing either from the greater to the lesser, which is the most basic interpretation, but perhaps lurking behind it, he's actually arguing from the lesser to the greater. That's possible too. And in this case, in the latter case, Jesus is saying that his disciples, who were the ones picking the grain, who are involved in his special messianic mission, they are granted an exception, a priestly dispensation from the Sabbath regulations, just as David's men had been granted a dispensation by the high priest at that time. So that's another really interesting take on this in terms of uh, being given exceptions for the messianic mission, just as David's men were given exceptions for David's mission. Now, one of the key things to note here when we're talking about this passage is why did they take the food? It's because they're hungry. They're not doing it. They're not plucking the food just for fun. If they were plucking the grain just for fun, that would not be acceptable. They would clearly be breaking the Sabbath law. Jesus would not approve. But the disciples are doing this because they're hungry. So the disciples are plucking food because they're trying to meet a human need. And therefore, as we'll see, Jesus is going to make the point that because it's meeting a genuine human need, it is acceptable to do on the Sabbath. It's a need, not a want. And Mark's version brings this out a bit more clearly. Jesus now is going to use a second example uh, of quoting from the Old Testament. And this is a really interesting one. So he says, verse 5, Or again, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath day, the temple priests break the Sabbath without being blamed for it? Or more literally there, it says, they are guiltless. So temple priests, even at the time of Jesus, they worked every day in the temple, and that included doing particular offerings on the Sabbath. You see that in Numbers 28, they're commanded to do offerings on the Sabbath, as well as eating the bread from the previous week. That's in Leviticus 24. So notice this, the Old Testament, even the Torah, Moses' law itself, commands that the temple priests have to do certain work on the Sabbath. So already Jesus has pointed to an example where God requires certain people to work on the Sabbath. Verse 6, Jesus says, Now here I tell you, and this is obviously the language of very bold proclamation, kind of reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, But I say to you, he says, Something greater than the temple is here. Now that is an astounding statement. That might not have a big impact on us, but think about what that would have meant to his first century Jewish hearers. Jesus is claiming to be greater than the temple. He's claiming to be greater than the holy sanctuary of God, which is God's very dwelling place. Jesus is essentially implying here that he himself is the new focal point for Israel's worship. That's a huge claim. He's saying, you worship in the temple, now something greater than the temple is here. It's it's huge when you try and unpack that. In fact, Jesus is going to call himself the temple directly in John 2, verses 19 to 21. Remember that argument about destroy this temple and I will rebuild it again in three days? He calls himself the temple there. So clearly Jesus wants to be seen as the new temple. 
And in fact, the catechism here says something really nice about this passage. It says that here, when Jesus says something greater than the temple is here, Jesus is claiming to be God's definitive dwelling place among men. And I think that's an excellent quote there from the catechism. Now, the point that Jesus is making here about the the temple priests doing work on the Sabbath is that since the temple priests enjoy exceptions from the Sabbath when they're serving the temple, well, now something greater than the temple is here. So those who serve the greater temple, in other words, his disciples, they should enjoy freedom from the Sabbath as well when they're serving the greater temple. So I'll say that again because it's really important. Jesus is saying that clearly in the Old Testament, those who serve the temple have an exemption from the Sabbath law. And now Jesus says, well, now there's a new temple. So those who serve the new temple directly have an exemption on the Sabbath law, which in this case means Jesus' direct disciples. Interesting reasoning, isn't it? Now he's going to take it even further. Watch what he does next with his logic in verse 7. And if you had understood the meaning of these words, what I want is mercy not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the blameless. Now, the quote here, what I want is mercy, not sacrifice. This is from Hosea in the Old Testament, Hosea 6, verse 6. And in context, God is saying to Hosea and and the people of Israel, he tells them that although temple sacrifices are important, it is a far more important thing to practice mercy. That is uh, God's teaching there to the Israelites. Temple sacrifices sacrifices are important, but it's more important to practice mercy. He says that mercy is a higher requirement than the Sabbath law. That's in the Old Testament itself. Now, this is the second time Jesus has quoted from this passage in Hosea. He actually quoted from it in chapter 9 of Matthew as well. He continually quotes this passage to the Pharisees, and that indicates this is one of the key things that Jesus thinks the Pharisees are not paying enough attention to. This is one of the principles of the Old Testament that they have forgotten. It's one of the key principles they've forgotten, and that's why he continually reminds them of this. God desires mercy rather than sacrifice. And in fact, in context, that means mercy is more important than sacrifice. So Jesus' logic here is basically this. We wouldn't necessarily realize this um, as we read it, but if we stop and think about the point he's trying to make to the Pharisees, it's probably this. Earlier, in verse 6, he has established that fulfilling the temple laws is more important than the Sabbath laws. That's what he said in verse 6. The temple takes priority over the Sabbath. Well, now, in the last thing he said here, he's established from the Old Testament that mercy is more important than temple regulations. So the hierarchy goes Sabbath laws at the bottom, and then temple laws next, and even more important than temple laws is mercy. And Jesus has made that point just from passages in the Old Testament. So what that shows is that mercy must be important, more important in God's eyes than fulfilling the Sabbath laws. It's fascinating, isn't it? The way he uses that logic, purely from arguing from the Old Testament. It's expert use of the Old Testament. It actually tells us a lot about the Pharisees too. It teaches us that the Pharisees really did want to lead people to holiness. They were concerned with holiness and bringing people closer to God, and they wanted everyone to follow God's laws. But there's one thing that they fundamentally did not recognize, that we as Christians now realize, but they didn't, which is that there's a hierarchy in God's laws. Not all of God's laws are equal in importance. Some laws are more important than others. And 
we, we need to realize this when we're dealing with the Old Testament. Some laws are more important than others. And in fact, on top of that, they also didn't realize God's ultimate intention for the laws. And Mark's account of this story brings it out even further um, because Mark's account says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So that's something else that they weren't, the Pharisees did not realize. There's a lot we can say about this principle when we're interpreting the Old Testament, that uh, some laws in the Old Testament were more important than others. If we can grasp that, we'll understand a lot of the things that goes on that go on in the Old Testament. So Jesus here confirms that his disciples are guiltless in this case because of the reasoning that he's just laid out. So he's proved to the Pharisees that based purely on Old Testament principles, his disciples are in fact guiltless. They have not broken God's laws. Now, given the general principle he's just laid out in terms of the law, he's now going to make an even more radical claim about himself. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is master of the Sabbath. Now, Son of Man was a term used for the Messiah in the time of Jesus, and Jesus often applies it to himself. So when Jesus says Son of Man, he's talking about the Messiah himself. And he says the Son of Man is master of the Sabbath or Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, some translations have this as the Son of Man is master even of the Sabbath. Now, this is a new teaching. Think about what Jesus is saying. The Messiah is master of the Sabbath. The Jews at the time did not realize that the Messiah was going to be master of the Sabbath in that sense. They probably viewed the Sabbath as more important than the Messiah. Now, Jesus is not abrogating Sabbath laws here. Jesus is not saying the Sabbath law is not a thing. He's not saying that. What he's saying with this phrase, the Son of Man is master of the Sabbath, what he means is this. The Messiah has power even to interpret how the Sabbath should be observed. Now, we know that the Pharisees did have some authority to teach and interpret uh, Jewish laws because they sat on the seat of Moses. But now Jesus here says the Messiah has a genuine authority that goes far beyond even the Pharisees' authority. So the Messiah is in charge of interpreting Sabbath laws. Now, many Jewish scholars have looked at this, so people who are not Christian but who are Jews have looked at this passage and have discerned that there's something even more radical going on here. Lots of scholars feel that Jesus is in fact claiming to be God here. He's not merely saying the Messiah has power over the Sabbath laws. Jesus is actually claiming to be God. And this would be the reasoning. So the Sabbath is a divine institution. It's set up even in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So it's something that God put in place for all time. And in fact, in the Old Testament, God consistently calls the Sabbath, my Sabbath. If you look at Exodus 31, Leviticus 19, Isaiah 56, constantly, the Sabbath was clearly not just a man-made law. It's a law of God himself, my Sabbath. Now, Jesus comes along here and says, the Son of Man is master even of the Sabbath. But if the Sabbath really belongs to God... And Jesus here is saying the Son of Man is master of the Sabbath. Basically, Jesus is claiming to change God's Sabbath law in such a radical way that he must be putting himself on a par with God. This is one of these places where um, we often don't think about it, but it appears that Jesus is claiming to be God. Not in a way that might strike us immediately that Jesus is claiming to be God, but if we understand the Jewish content and context, of what's going on here, that appears to be 
This appears to be a claim to divinity within Matthew's gospel, and it's a passage that we should use more. Jesus is claiming that he has divine authority here to change God's own Sabbath law. Now, Mark's version also adds in here some additional information, and that's well worth looking at. So, Mark's version says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, Jesus in Mark's version also teaches that Jews can still fulfill their basic needs on the Sabbath. Otherwise, that would go against the whole purpose of the Sabbath, which was to rest in covenant relationship with God. Matthew doesn't include that line, though. Matthew does not include the line about the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Maybe he feels that that would be too controversial for his Jewish audience to handle, but that would just be speculation. Now, the next little part of Matthew chapter 12 is verses 9 to 13, which includes Jesus having another confrontation with the Pharisees on the Sabbath day, though about a different matter. So that is verses 9 to 13. Now, that's actually never covered in the lectionary. This is one of these few passages in Matthew that we never get to hear. So, if you want to hear that uh, confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees in verses 9 to 13, then you can have a look at the Patreon page for this ministry. So, if you become a regular Patreon supporter and are willing to contribute $10 a month or more, then you can get access to these bonus episodes where we go in depth on these texts that you'll never hear as part of the usual lectionary cycle. And so please consider whether you might like to uh, get access to those. There's quite a good community of people who've really benefited uh, from hearing these passages of the gospel, which are never read out at mass. And the link for uh, the Patreon page is in the show notes here. In the next weekday, we will continue in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, but we're picking it up from verse 14 next time. Let's now turn to the Catechism and look at some of the most important um, paragraphs here. So, paragraph 581, this is about Jesus and the law. The Jewish people and their spiritual leaders often viewed Jesus as a rabbi. He often argued within the framework of rabbinical interpretation of the law. Yet Jesus could not help but offend the teachers of the law, for he was not content to propose his interpretation alongside theirs, but taught the people as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In presenting with divine authority the definitive interpretation of the law, Jesus found himself confronted by certain teachers of the law who did not accept his interpretation of the law, guaranteed though it was by the divine signs that accompanied it. This was the case especially with the Sabbath laws, for he recalls often with rabbinical arguments that the Sabbath rest is not violated by God by serving God and neighbor, which his own healings did. So that's a really important passage in helping us understand the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And then paragraph 2173 is about the Sabbath day specifically. The gospel reports many incidents when Jesus was accused of violating the Sabbath law. But Jesus never fails to respect the holiness of this day. He gives the law its authentic and authoritative interpretation. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. With compassion, Jesus Christ declares the Sabbath for doing good rather than harm, for saving life rather than killing. The Sabbath is the day of the Lord of mercies and a day to honour God. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Paragraph 586, so this is about Jesus' relationship with the temple, and it's a really nice paragraph. Far from having been hostile to the temple, where he gave the essential part of his teaching, Jesus was willing to pay the temple tax, associating him with Peter, 
whom he had just made the foundation of his future church. He even identified himself with the temple by presenting himself as God's definitive dwelling place among men. And that was the passage I quoted earlier. Lastly, let's look at paragraph 2100. This is about sacrifice. And it's in the section of the Catechism about the way we should act as Christians. Outward sacrifice, to be genuine, must be the expression of spiritual sacrifice. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. The prophets of the Old Covenant often denounced sacrifices that were not from the heart or not coupled with love of neighbor. Jesus recalls the words of the prophet Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And of course, as we said, that's one of Jesus' favorite uh, prophecy quotes that he gives to the Pharisees to remind them of the correct way to understand God's will. So it's a longer episode today, but I hope you agree that it's one of those ones where if you unpack it in a bit of detail, you see the underlying Jewish logic of what Jesus is trying to say here and the expert use that he makes of the Old Testament. Thank you, and we'll continue in Matthew chapter 12 tomorrow.